I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello and welcome to another episode of All Things Policy. And today is the first episode of what shall be a series of podcasts on the very strategic semiconductors industry. I'm your host, Satya Sahu, and today we will explore the challenges and opportunities for this vital sector of India's economic and technological development. Our guest for today's podcast is Arjun Garkeyas, a former research analyst at the Takshashila Institution. Arjun has a background in electronics engineering and has worked with NVIDIA and Cisco in the past. He's also an IICU Chicago fellow and a consultant at the Ministry of Electronics and Information Technology, Government of India. He has considerable expertise in high-tech geopolitics with a focus on semiconductors, quantum technologies, AI and cybersecurity. Finally, he has also written extensively on these topics for various publications such as News 18, First Post, The Diplomat and The Indian Express. In the next 30 minutes, I'll be conversing with Arjun about the current state and future prospects of India's semiconductor industry, the challenges and opportunities it faces in the global context, and any possible policy recommendations for enhancing India's competitiveness and self-reliance in this sector. Please join me in welcoming Arjun Gargias to the podcast. Now for some background for the listeners, semiconductors are the building blocks of modern electronics, from smartphones and laptops to cars and satellites. They're also essential for emerging technologies such as AI, 5G, and quantum computing. However, India has been largely dependent on imports for its semiconductor needs. Spending over $15 billion on electronics imports in 2021 alone, India's history of semiconductor manufacturing dates back to the 1980s when the government set up a state-owned company called Semiconductor Complex Limited to produce chips for strategic sectors such as defense and space. However, due to various factors such as lack of funding, market demand, policy support and skilled talent, the SCL could not keep up with the rapid advances in technology and global competition. However, in recent years, India has made some efforts to revive its semiconductor manufacturing ambition, such as launching the National Policy on Electronics in 2019 and the National Semiconductor Mission recently. Most of all, they've announced production-linked incentives for setting up semiconductor wafer fabs in 2021. India is also widely considered to have a vibrant chip design industry with many global companies having their design centers in the country and producing nearly 2,000 chips every year. However, compared to its neighbors and other competitors, India still faces many challenges in becoming self-sufficient in semiconductors. This could be high capital costs, complex and non-resilient supply chains, geopolitical uncertainties and skill gaps. So Arjun, I'll bring you in here by asking about the elephant in the geopolitical state, so to speak. First off, in the current geopolitical scenario, what could be the benefits and risks of pursuing semiconductor self-sufficiency for India? Is it even advisable to try and become Atmanirbhar in a supply chain that we lack a sort of technological continuity in? Hey, Satya. So uh, good to be here. It's been a while since I was on an All Things Policy podcast. So thank you so much for inviting me as a guest. And that was a very comprehensive introduction. And I think before as well, in so many episodes, we have spoken about semiconductors, the industry itself, what it means for India, what it means for the rest of the world, and how each of the countries 
are shaping their own ecosystems in the recent past so to your question specifically right we have extensively covered this i think in previous podcast as well so the whole concept of the semiconductor supply chain how complex it is and how there are different bottlenecks and different kind of geopolitical tensions which might actually impact the production from the architecture side from the ip side all the way to the packaging side to the manufacturing bit of it so we have covered all that right now what has been the most interesting aspect i think especially if you look at the geopolitical nature of this industry itself has been in the last year or so there has been considerable shift in how countries are viewing semiconductors itself i think it actually was there during the pandemic when there was a huge shortage in supply but the enhancement has been seen in the last 6 months or so wherein countries especially western countries have used semiconductors chips and everything related to the industry itself to target their own rivals i think uh, especially this was in last october ish or november ish that that the biden administration officially signed the chips and science act in the us and that was when the era of industrial policy was back and then they gave a lot of subsidies to improve domestic manufacturing they gave a lot of incentives to build america's semiconductor uh, ecosystem and industry so that it could compete on a global scale and this was very surprising not just very surprising it was just the fact that america which is considered to have a major share in the semiconductor industry has resorted to such industrial policies just to prop up its own ecosystem that shows the level of self sufficiency that has actually been achieved for for now in the semiconductor industry itself no one has been able to dominate it and that is why countries are looking at either specializing in a part of a supply chain such as taiwan does with manufacturing and uh, china does with let's say atmp and osat but it's also the fact that it's just you know sanctions and uh, export controls and offensive tools which are being used to curb your own rivals semiconductor growth so that you have to improve at this point in time so that shows that even if you have everything necessary to build your own semiconductor ecosystem there has there are external factors there are dependencies which do exist and which cannot be kind of replaced in the very near term and you have to look at a more long term vision of kind of building this kind of resiliency into the supply chain itself so one of the most interesting things in the last one year or so especially was the this this whole focus on semiconductors from a geopolitical front right so one was there was a lot of talk on dependency reduction that was emphasized and stretch especially in key areas of technology and how you need to build re- redundancy in supply chains and how protectionist policies which was focused which were focused on self reliance and that was more more or less being pushed and that was say uh, by many countries and which was meant to be the solution for everything in the tech supply chain aspect of it itself and uh, one of them was also 
again, a massive push to develop these industry on a domestic level. This was seen from the uh, US Chips and Science Act, the EU Chips Chips Act, and India's own semiconductor package, which was worth around like 76,000 crores to build the semiconductor industry itself. And finally, this whole ability to undercut your rivals. So there has been a techno-nationalist approach, which has been seen in the semiconductor space. And uh, it is very evident through whatever um, sanctions which are being put on these uh, so-called rivals and strategic uh, rivals in the domain itself. And China is the elephant in the room for most of these countries and how they have managed to actually grow their own industry, even though there has been so many restrictions which have been put on the industry itself. So there there have been export controls. The US has directed its own companies, its own private companies to stop selling to China, especially advanced computer chips and like AI chips, which might be used for military purposes and military systems. It has directed other companies in other countries such as ASML of Netherlands to stop providing manufacturing equipment to China. So they've done all this and yet it has managed to grow. And that is what is the problem right now. So it's all of this combined and that makes it seem like the approach which is taken by India is very, again, it's uh, it's very uh, Self-sufficiency approach is not the right term to use in the semiconductor domain, but it's more or less saying we'll do whatever we can, we'll do everything in the supply chain itself. But that has not been the case. India has not had a fab in the la- ever, like a commercial fab has never been set up in the country. And uh, what is the main reason for that, that we have discussed also previously, is just that Many investors are hesitant on India because of its environment, business environment, political uh, pressure and whatnot. But the only thing is, in recent times, the push has been greater, especially in the December 2021 package, whatever came out by the Ministry of Electronics and IT. There was a comprehensive package and it actually covered all areas of the supply chain. So that was the first time India had ever kind of focused on other areas of the supply chain also but it was mostly focused on you know building a fab kind of having a fabrication facility building manufacturing uh, i mean creating manufacturing output for the country itself but now it actually focused on design design linkedin center scheme came out it focused on uh, other fabs rather than like the traditional ones such as the display fabs also and it also focused on OSAT which is the outsourced assembly and test and the and the later part of the supply chain also so all this was done in December 2021 as a comprehensive package to build the Indian semiconductor ecosystem again it is definitely an industrial policy which has been championed by the country we just have to see how much of tangible results that will actually give us and what sort of gains that would give us will determine how much of a position we are in to influence the global supply chain itself. So that is something we don't have an answer for yet. I hope that we do get some time in the real future though. Right. Um, So that brings me to my other question. Um, So for most listeners of the uh, podcast, um, the uh, the concept of um, competitive advantage as it plays out on the global macroeconomic scale is something that is uh, you know uh, essential to 
to any country specializing in a particular industry or a particular part of supply chain. So in your opinion, so given what we know about the last couple of years, whatever the government has taken, uh, what are the effectiveness and feasibility of the announced initiatives and programs in uh, terms of their objectives, outcomes, challenges, you know, for the PLIs, for instance, on maybe as any particular key areas or segments of the value chain that India should ideally focus on that? Like this is, this could simply be a personal opinion based on what you know here. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing, right? Uh, when you, when one can't achieve complete self-sufficiency in the supply chain itself, you have to resort to focusing on certain areas of it where you can actually specialize in. So that is where the idea of comparative advantages come in. That's, uh, that's when you realize what, part of the supply chain can you invest more and what kind of returns will you get from it so i think that one of the main things one of the more easiest examples to see that is taiwan so in 1960s and early 70s they built what is called as the pure play foundry model so that model was focused on just building a manufacturing facility in Taiwan, which would churn out chips, but not focus on any other part of the supply chain. It told every semiconductor company out there to say that we would be your manufacturer, but we will not compete with you. So they they essentially got a lot of business coming into their country, but they managed to actually stay aloof of the rest of the supply chain so they essentially focused on their comparative advantage which they realized that they had the necessary technical expertise the manpower they had the insane amount of capital which was required at that point in time they restructured their trade policy and everything to set up these manufacturing plants which would provide them what uh, whatever their, their position is now in the supply chain right so now coming to india if you can think about what exactly india if you look at the whole semiconductor supply chain you would be very very it would be very easy to pinpoint where indians make a difference so in the number of engineers that come out of in uh Indian colleges every year and the number of uh, people who pursue electronics engineering, computer science engineering who go into these semiconductor firms, they are all working on the design side of it, right? So uh, they are not working in manufacturing facilities. India does not have a fab. So there is no one working in manufacturing facilities. There are a few ATMP centers, which is the assembly test and marking, which have been set up in India. but even that, that has been actually uh, brought into India by some other companies such as a Taiwanese company or a Chinese company like a Foxconn or a Winston. So there, there are very uh, low skilled labor who are working in these companies who are just doing the assembly line, who are helping out in the assembly line processes and stuff. But the real contribution of India in the semiconductor supply chain, at least at the current point in time, would be that they contribute immensely to whatever IP is being generated, especially in the design phase, the architecture of the chip itself, how uh, the layout of the chip uh, has to be. Uh, this is all uh, what 
engineers do in these semiconductor companies. I myself was working in NVIDIA as a verification engineer. I think Pranay, he was working um, in uh, both uh, Qualcomm and Texas Instruments. So we see that there are a lot of Indians who are very skilled enough to so that even foreign companies like major semiconductor companies in the world have entrusted this whole part of the supply chain or the whole process of it to India. So the design centers are there mostly in India. Like most of the semiconductor companies have their design centers in India. Like and uh, their R and D happens here. The, so everything from building the chip to uh, to designing the chip happens uh, some somewhat to an extent in India. But the fact is, these are all not Indian companies. So the IP essentially does not lie with India. It it would have eventually go to the uh, semiconductor company, which is generally based out of the US or uh, South Korea and say, uh, like Samsung or MediaTek, like Taiwan, stuff like that. So that's the problem. And what we have been advocating, I think, for all almost over a year and a half, two years now, is the fact that India has been uh, focused more on the setting up a fab in this country. And which is fine, which is totally uh, fair considering the fact that you might want at least one commercial or one or two commercial fabs in the country, which would provide the necessary domestic supply. Like, you know, like domestic, there would actually be some kind of demand from the domestic uh, market itself. And having a commercial fab in the country would actually cater to that domestic demand. But we do realize that this is an extremely capital intensive process of setting up a fabrication facility itself. And India has tried and not succeeded a bunch of times. We, I mean, there there are different reasons for why each of the times they have not succeeded and uh, uh, why it has reached the MOU stage but has not actually resulted in the fab itself being set up. That's a conversation for another day. But the fact that they have tried and tried and not able to achieve it in all these years has also made analysts like myself or anyone else who is watching the semiconductor industry question about how much of capital can India, let's say not just the government, like even an Indian company who's willing to put in that money, can they contribute like even as part of the semiconductor package? How much of the semiconductor package can be devoted to setting up a fab? And how much will we have left after devo- after setting up that fab to or uh, to take it to the other uh, sectors in the supply chain. And when you have some kind of a presence in the supply chain in terms of manufacturing, it kind of makes sense. But India doesn't manufacture any of its products, any of its semiconductor products. There is a, as you said, the imports have been rising, and one of our major importer importers are China is China, and we are so dependent on Chinese imports at this point in time uh, for electronics. So. What is the gains we're getting from setting up a fab or maybe two fabs itself? Does that like make India a critical part of the supply chain? I don't think it will like in, in the current scenario itself because there are so many other countries who are moved past or who have actually have established themselves over the last three to four decades. 
and uh, india having not done that is going to take a while for uh, them to actually be an integral part of the supply chain the only way that can happen is if indian companies especially semiconductor companies if they come up and they start off from the uh, design phase they make their own ip and then once they have that ip they can actually sell it to american or whatever taiwanese or south korean companies so that has not happened yet indian semiconductor companies especially in the design phase have not received the kind of uh, support they might have wanted from the government itself so they have got they have either shut shop or they basically become kind of yeah so they just do the whole contractual bit for other companies itself so in a nutshell that's the state we are in right now but the only way india can actually imprint itself in the global value chain of semiconductors it's by focusing on its strength which currently is the design but it can it can become like assembly testing it can become manufacturing but that will take that will take more time than focusing on design which is which they have already have certain that makes a lot of sense especially because um, a lot of the central demand uh, the fabs that are sort to be set up are also not in leading edge nodes so yeah. so that's also something that because we like the technological continuity in uh, it's difficult for us to compete on the global stage however such fabs can actually make chips or memory chips or chips that may not need um, to be leading edge in order to be effective but that's a question one other time like you said there are also questions about environment and natural resources that india also lacks in then that regard like clean water and clean power especially in close proximity to a fab that's like we i don't know of any particular place in india that has both of those and uh, how the local population might might react to that especially because it's a huge trade off stay tuned to all things policy we'll be right back after a short commercial break Anyway, so coming back to the point about R and D and how the fact that the most of the IP in the chip talent chip design sector is housed within you know the foreign foreign entities, the vast majority of Indian talent in the chip design space, they may employ their private companies or academia abroad. So, I mean, this is a question that we at Takshila keep grappling with all the time. How do you attract and retain talent and skills in any like actually in any industry, but in the, the semiconductor industry specifically? especially when we don't have an academia industry nexus in india mm-hmm. like i this may be a very specific question to answer but i also wanted to know your thoughts on it so that's very interesting i think if you look at it i mean so one of the just a story from my college days so one of the subjects we were studying was blsi back in college which was basically how to design a chip and the bible or the textbook we were referring to was this guy named razavi and we we didn't know who this guy was until someone told us that he was a professor at ucla right so if you go to ucla you can actually meet this guy who has written this comprehensive book which every engineer refers to on the subject of blsi itself so the fact that there are these kind of academics who are writing a literature which caters to the industry that matters a lot and the fact that in india there are very less semiconductor research institutes itself i and i don't know maybe 
the i don't know the percentage or the number of phds that come out of india with respect to uh, the field of semiconductors but i'm pretty sure it's not a very high amount uh, very less people actually go ahead and do um, research like an msc and phd in the electronics domain and finally come out with something substantial or some, some incredible technology which uh, india can use so that has actually kind of hindered the indian industry also so there has been no you know maverick of sorts who has come up and kind of developed a company from the bottom up like how intel was started right if you take the journey of intel like these guys were just normal guys who were working in the field who had like a considerable amount of uh, experience and they went and set up intel and even if you take uh, tsmc or, or something or even if you go away from the semiconductor industry if you if you take like quantum there uh, uh, this chinese professor who was teaching in austria came back to china had a lab and then he and look where china is at now in uh, in the quantum domain so it's just the fact that we haven't been able to translate whatever research we're doing in academia which which is less into industry or into proper products and services itself and that has been kind of a roadblock for india in most of the domains right but the thing is when india has that kind of ecosystem when the government creates that kind of ecosystem uh for private sector to innovate i think we'll see it and we've been seeing that in um digital public infrastructure i just right. uh, like uh, listen to uh, to the episode which came out today on how uh, how to globalize india's dpi right so that showed when india has taken or the indian government has taken the responsibility as the lead in creating certain um platforms and creating certain um uh dpi models in creating certain digital public goods the private sector has automatically followed and has innovated on top of it has built so much ip like how a triple itb owns the ip for mosif now mosif is being implemented across different countries to build digital ids and how ega foundation has used its own ip to develop dpi in other countries so the private sector has actually followed the government's footsteps and actually innovated on it right but that kind of push from the government side has not been seen in terms of r&d in terms of starting its own like you know having its own research and academic wing for semiconductors and coming out with some tangible um, technology which can revolutionize the industry itself and maybe they it is not their focus which is fine they want to leave it to the private sector uh, to um, do any of these uh, like achievements and kind of uh, uh, engage in the part of the supply chain but the fact that the government has not been able to champion it to an extent that even private sector players who are wanting to set up certain firms in the country have kind of got 
little disincentivized on what exactly are we trying to achieve will we have that kind of support from the government will we actually like will we have certain subsidies not just subsidies so any kind of incentive not just financial incentives will the government go out of its way to protect our own ip will push comes to shove and we get into some kind of a ip litigation process wherein we are forced to either not uh, license it or something like that or make it open source or something will will the government actually protect our ip itself so these are just small things but it's just the fact that if you build that kind of confidence into the industry i think you can build the ecosystem as well and the government's role is not just to say that this much money has been allocated for uh, building the industry itself or building an ecosystem itself, right you actually have to kind of like go out of your way and work with private sector work with startups and incubate it to a point wherein you they feel that the the government has got it back and they will not kind of have to shut shop if something happens so that's something that we have not seen and the fact that r&d and academia remain essential or like the baseline to do this and that is not uh, that's not seen in the uh, indian academic circles as of now uh, so everything combined it's just the fact that 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 linkage between academia industry government is just not there as of now and that is what is holding our ecosystem and industry and until we kind of build that linkage it's just going to be that way i think no yeah i think the analogy to uh, for the, of the government building the foundational layers of the of digital public infrastructure in india and then the private sector building on top of it is it's a great analogy to apply to something like the semiconductor industry itself as well because you need to have supporting ip regime you need to have like zero tariffs on input materials for instance like the uh, information technology agreement that the government is mm. has essentially like written off and and yeah that's a whole bag of phones we'll unpack in another podcast but yeah stuff like that yeah without that it's very difficult to get that we almost at the end of the podcast so i just wanted to know a little bit about in your experience what is the in- so like you did say the industry's view is of the government's announced initiatives is fairly muddled it's they not sure about what exactly the government wants to do and specialism what specific still supply chain uh, what do you think that in this current scenario the in- the in- industry would most likely focus the investment in r&d on i mean this is r&d that foreign companies will be uh, creating will be investing in but uh, i mean it in india so just just a brief um, idea of insight from your side yeah so i think it's hard to gauge exactly what the industry thinks of these uh, policies un- unless we actually see someone coming out openly and saying oh, oh we are really appreciate uh, this and we are willing to engage with the government we are part of the we have got some subsidy or some incentive from the let's say the design linked incentive scheme and we are going to be setting up a semiconductor firm which will engage in uh, in cutting edge research on semiconductor design itself but generally the fact that if you revisit india's like 
incentives right just not just for semiconductor ecosystem in general but like if you revisit some kind of uh, incentive structure which india had for building a fab itself so the capital expenditure has been raised from before like let's say pre 2019 the government promised around 15 to 20% of financial incentive of total capital expenditure now it's promising around 25% and it's also willing to invest in r&d and saying that we will invest more money if the supposed firm decides to uh, kind of dabble in r&d and give us ip out of it so one of the other things is tax reductions basic custom duties all these things have kind of evolved gradually and have made things better for the industry especially with the recent package itself it's just the fact that how much of this would actually help an industry or help a firm let's say in sustaining itself over a period of time so even if you ask a firm to set up with this much amount of capital expenditure they will still require some and it's just the fact that semiconductor industry and semiconductor firm itself they do not give you like profits and benefits in the short term you have to be willing to invest for a long term and that is when you actually start seeing come some kind of uh, like some kind of turnover some kind of profits which are being achieved at these firms so it's not like software industry or a software firm wherein you pump a, a, a massive amount of money and then they make a product and then they sell the product and they get a huge influx of cash or whatever on that it's not that way it is just the fact that you you start off with actually making design for other firms then you start off gradually becoming the top one of those top design providers for uh, other semiconductor firms then people start noticing how good your design is and then when you can actually make sure that your designs can be uh, protected under some kind of ip law that time you can actually license it out and that's how you kind of build it in let's say in the design phase for the manufacturing bit it's just the fact that setting it up only will take around 4 to 5 years setting up a fab will take 4 to 5 years and then the fact that it's not just like you provide this much amount of money at the beginning of the project itself and then you would actually have to get a lot of semiconductor equipment manufacturing equipment from abroad so if you want to if you want to import that the duties will kick in how much are you charging for import duties how much are you charging for importing raw materials so if that is also high then the cost imbalance just starts uh, burdening on the firm or on the project itself and finally you won't actually see a major profit actually happening for uh, any kind this of is, this isn't even taking into account the fact that the domestic market actually may or may not exist like there is exactly the- exactly and how and what do you account for of how much will you produce for the domestic market and how much you have to uh, result in how much you have to export and how much of your uh, the percentage of your products which would be uh, which would be exported across the world and when you export you have to be competitive yeah and 
when you're not competitive, your exports suffer. And the fact that, in as you said, India does not have a fab yet. And the, the plans of setting up the fab in the country are also not leading edge. They're all trading edge nodes. So how much of a how much of global competitiveness can we actually achieve in that in the long run itself so uh, the industry will think about all these aspects when they're actually setting up some kind of thing in in the country itself right so it's very hard to not make some a fame, uh, let's say an established semiconductor firm not to think about these things because they will essentially think about their prospects in the long run and that is why we have not been able to kind of get that kind of investment from anyone it's very easy for them to just set up an R&D center here and just employ Indian um, engineers and pay them let's say what 10% of what they pay uh, to US engineers Uh, and make them do the same work what they do and that for them is an easier way out so that's why they have not been kind of willing to yeah there's still going to be risk yeah so if the industry wants to think about it then they will think about all of these aspects and how much of uh, support they might get in the long run itself so and there's a possibility that the contract can be cancelled anytime. That's happened in the yeah. past. Like MOUs have been signed and nothing has happened on the MOUs. And the state governments have backed out. So any of these things can happen. And looking at it from the, uh, from the industry perspective, I think they feel that they just have to have some kind of either a consistent influx of capital which they're willing to spend to set up let's say a fab in this country or if they want to set up a design firm they want some client revenue coming in every single time so they want the major semiconductor firms to come to them for like making their own design but the fact that this can i know i understand this the government can't do everything it's not the job of the government to sit and like court all these firms to come and they do have to create the enabling environment for yeah, that yeah, exactly, um, exactly at least at least uh, make sure that we understand where we are going to specialize before like attempting every single thing because we can't have capital influx coming at every stage of the value chain exactly uh, that makes sense anyway um, oh, yeah. yeah i so mean yeah so, it's a long road ahead i do i do feel that we are on the right path uh, in terms of how the government is actually viewing this. I mean, working in the Ministry of Electronics and IT, I, I see that the Indian Semiconductor mission, which was set up around a year and a half, almost a year and a half back, has actually been trying to kind of do all these things. But it's just the fact that it, it's hard to convince when you don't have results with has been in the past like if you go and say i will do it people might not believe you considering the fact that nothing has happened in the past yet so if you can get one fab up and running and if you can get one design firm which will make some critical ip and licensing license it out to almost all u.s semiconductor firms it's like people are just going to view it as hollow promises and uh, not it's it's just the fact that they would be thinking about profitability at the end of the day right right and india would be thinking about strategic gains but the private sector always thinks about profitability and yeah it's a really weird chicken and egg problem here that's 
yeah so you never know how it is going to go but i think we're on the right track and i hope that at least the mission which has been set up would um, manage to kind of you know incubate some of these um, projects which have been signed like the vedanta foxconn one or even the ismc tower jazz one which is in mysore so if that can actually see the end of day then that would be the starting point of india's new semiconductor journey makes sense i think that's all the time we have for our foray into understanding the complexities of this strategic sector thank you arjun for being with us and sharing your like valuable insights in this conversation i learned a lot about the the way the industry might view into things like a lot of this are intuitive given our studies but getting an insight of you always helps thank you to all the listeners for joining us today as well and we are signing off here thank you so much satya happy to be a part of the podcast thank you